Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Well, good morning, Ginghamsburg family. Have you ever had a moment where someone spoke a negative word over you? Like they just told you what they thought about you and they did it in such a way that it kind of limited you. It kind of placed you in a box. I call those limitation prophecies. Say that phrase with me. Limitation prophecies. Yeah. Now, when I was just five years old, I was at my house and I was getting ready to bale hay. And I had my like jeans on, my flannel shirt on, my boots on. I was getting all ready and I was like, really pumped about it. And I knew that I needed my mom to braid my hair. So I was like, mom, can you braid my hair? And my brother, Jason, he's a little older than me. He looked at me and he said, what do you think you're doing? I said, I'm getting ready, same as you. And he said, for what? For baling hay? Well, dad's not gonna let you bale hay. Let me bale hay. I mean, come on. I didn't know there was a let me in baling hay. I had two hands and I was almost as big as my older brother. Even though he was three years older than me, I had grown faster than him. Let me bale hay. Well, my dad came in and he called out to my brother, Jason. Hey, Jason, let's go. I said, dad, dad, I'm almost ready. Oh, Rachel, he said, you can't go. But dad, I protested, I'm ready to go. All I need is mom to braid my hair. He rattled off all kinds of excuses. Then went through the names of all the neighborhood men and boys he had listed to help. And you can imagine that little Rachel was maybe a stubborn child. (laughs) Who liked to manipulate her way into her dad allowing her to do exactly what she wanted to do. Finally, in total exasperation, my dad said to me, Rach, probably Rachel Lynn, actually, you are not Balin Hay. Balin Hay is no place for little girls. And there it was. Limitation prophecy. Now, Truth be told, I didn't know about what was really happening when people were bailing hay. Like they had these coolers of beer, old Milwaukee light. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and they were chewing tobacco and they were like doing all kinds of lewd jokes and stuff. Not exactly the space for a five-year-old little girl. But I didn't know all that. I just knew what my dad said. Little girls can't bail hay. This is a space only for boys and men. And I held on to that. Now I tried to get my mom on my side. I protested with her and she had another agenda for me. And I know what it was. I was to work in the garden that day. And I either was assigned to picking beans or potato bugs and potato, potato bugs. Oh, right. Disgusting. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to bale the hay. Now, my dad didn't intend to like speak that limitation prophecy over me. In fact, years later, I was bailing hay because there was, there was no one else to bail the hay, right? And yet, I held on to it. What negative word, whether they meant to or not, limitation prophecy has someone spoken over you? Maybe it was your gender, your race, your ethnicity, but it could have been something completely different. Maybe because of your last name. 
the side of the tracks that you grew up on? Maybe the, the, the cards that you were dealt and suddenly someone spoke something so hurtful over you, you're still carrying it around years later. Just last service, I met a woman in the hallway who said to me, you know, Pastor Rachel, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a preacher. And they told me, you just can't. And now in her 70s, she's weeping. Come on. What limitation prophecy has someone spoken over you and it's hurt you to the core? We always say sticks and stones break our bones, but words what? That's malarkey. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Our words matter. Can I get an amen? Now, true confession Although we've experienced limitation and prophecies spoken over us, we've spoken them as well, even when we don't want to. It's a space, space of confession. We're only human after all. So here's what I want to do just for a moment. I want you to think about these limitation prophecies that have been spoken over you. And I want you to either like write them down, text them to yourself, put them in your transformation journal. Those of you who are online, I want you to uh, type them right into the chat. Maybe it's a word or a phrase. Don't give me a whole paragraph. Word or a phrase that, that someone has spoken over you. Last service, someone said, I kept being told I was poor or that I was not good enough or that I'd never be college material or that I'd never get married. These phrases that just limit our person, place us in a box. Well, this morning, Elijah, the prophet that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, has a limitation prophecy spoken over him and it scares him to death. In fact, we are leaning into this legacy legacy series, trying to figure out how to live a life that matters, wrestling with questions. Last week, we we asked the question, what's my purpose? And discovered we all have a God-given purpose. It's deep within and God is just calling it out. And today we're gonna get a little deeper and frankly, a little sadder. We're gonna ask the tough question, what do I do when I feel depressed? Because brothers and sisters, we all feel it sometimes. What do I do when I feel depressed? So I'm so glad you asked that question. Let's open our Bibles and our Bible apps and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, if you're getting into your Bibles, the Old Testament is like the first half of your Bibles. If you're using a Bible app, just keep scrolling. You're going to find it. Here in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's just experienced something amazing. Just the chapter before, I should say, 18, he's experiencing something absolutely amazing. He's defeated 450 prophets of Baal. Mountaintop experience. He should be high-fiving God, saying amen. I am the man. He is the hero. And yet, one negative word, one limitation prophecy spoken over this man, and he is ready to run. Now, before we read the scripture, let's open up our hearts and our whole bodies in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all those negative words that have been spoken over us, that I was too nice, that I wasn't part of the in-group in school and I couldn't be popular, 
that I was repeatedly told I was a lousy wife and Christian. All this negativity, God, we just hand that over to you. We surrender all the things that we've typed in our heads and our hearts. Because God, when we hold on to this stuff, it leads to anxiety and anxiety leads to isolation and isolation leads to depression. God, we're asking for your healing of our hearts and our minds. Mental health matters. So Lord, we are leaning into your presence. May the words of my mouth and all the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of these are so... I was always told I would become nothing and turn out just to be like my father and his brothers. I became more... (laughs) And I found my own path and I continue to grow every day. Let's just celebrate that. Yeah. Someone told Taylor, I I couldn't take care of one kid, let alone two. Come on, folks. Let's be honest with what we say to one another. I mean, these are just absolutely powerful. I want to continue to write them out because, you know, when you speak them out loud, they no longer have control over you. There's a release. There's a confession that happens when you speak these negative words out loud. You let go of that limitation prophecy and you begin to believe what God has to say about you. So let's take a look at what's happening in Elijah's life. First Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse five. Now Ahab had told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent her messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah has this big old limitation prophecy spoken over him. Queen Jezebel, co-ruler of the king with King Ahab, uh, king of northern Israel, spoke this right out curse over Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. I mean, brothers and sisters, that's some Hunger Games next level stuff. I mean, come on. Now, Elijah has just defeated those 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, he should feel good. He should be like high-fiving God. Like, I've got this. You're you're not going to scare me. The God of the universe is on my side. And yet he doesn't respond that way, does he? Now, to be fair, Jezebel has a reputation. She's a person that has taken a neighbor's vineyard. And when that neighbor uh, protested, she had the neighbor executed. So Elijah knows she's going to make good on her promise. And besides, these 450 prophets are her personal prophets. Jezebel is ticked at Elijah. And so she is so angry and he knows that she's capable of ruining and snuffing out his life. In all of that paranoia, Elijah runs. He is afraid. He is paranoid. Say that word with me. Paranoia. Here's Elijah, this prophet of God, this messenger of God, 
Remember, not so much fortune teller, but bullhorn acting and speaking on behalf of God. He gets in one little fight and his mom got scared. No, just kidding. (laughs) You were going there with me, weren't you? (laughs) He gets in one little fight and he gets scared and he runs. He runs to the southernmost part of the kingdom. You know, there are moments in our lives when all it takes is one negative word and suddenly we don't believe we can do anything that God has called us to do. One negative word and we're saying to ourselves, I can't, I shouldn't, I mustn't, right? We have a term for that. It's called imposter syndrome. Where suddenly we begin to believe these lies that that we aren't who we think we are. Webster's Dictionary has this definition of imposter syndrome. It's a psychological condition that's characterized by the persistent doubt concerning one's ability or accomplishments, accompanied by the fear of being exposed as a fraud, despite the evidence of one's ongoing success. No matter what's happened in the past, no matter how epic it was, there's no way it's going to happen again. It was a fluke. Has anybody ever said that to themselves? Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real, and it's a lie. Nearly eight years ago, when I first started at Gingham Street Church, it was like the fall of 2014. I was new to this thing, new to this platform. And I don't know, this space would make me very nervous, right? I remember one Saturday night, I was coming in to preach, and I had like real bad anxiety. And by the time I got into the, in the parking lot, I was having a full-blown panic attack. Anybody ever had one of those? Like you're sweating so bad, like, like your whole body's soaked and your heart's racing, you think you're gonna die, that kind of thing. And I was like, I, I can't get, go in there. I can't go in there. I can't do it. And by it, I meant all of it. I cannot do it. So I just wanted to like get in my car and just leave. And at that moment of absolute panic, I had a friend that was calling me. Now, truth be told, I had called the friend earlier, but they didn't pick up. But in that moment where I needed her the most, she called and she heard me sobbing and like ugly crying. You know how that goes, like the snot's running in and all that. Yeah. And instead of saying, girl, you got this. She said, you know what, Rachel, this is hard and it's challenging and you don't feel like you got it. And you probably don't today, but you are a beloved child of the living God. That's your identity. You can suck all weekend and you're still a beloved child of the living God. That's your identity. Not in what you do, not in how you perform. That is your identity in Christ. Yeah. And in that moment, she didn't realize it, but she set me free. I had enough Calm down enough to get in here. And I would love to tell you that the weekend was butterflies, rainbows, and sweet parades. It was not. I barely made it through, but I made it, right? I made it. I fought to live another day. But in my mind, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't, you're a fraud. They're never going to believe it. All those things. Imposter syndrome. It is real. It is real. And it is a lie from the devil. The Holy Spirit that is alive and well in you is alive and well in the person next to you. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to hold back. We are called to lean into that identity in Christ, to not play small, 
but to live the lives that God is calling us to live. One of my favorite poems ever is by Marianne Williamson. Now, I know she's a little crazy, but hey, I like this poem. But anyhow, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant and gorgeous and talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing it small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. You are meant to shine as children do. We were born to make the manifest the glory of God that's within us. And this is my favorite part. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. We are liberated from our own fear and our presence automatically liberates others. Now, apparently, Elijah had never read Marianne Williamson, right? Because he is scared out of his mind. And in his fear and paranoia, he runs, he hides. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And then he came to Beersheba in Judah. Let me stop right there. So remember, we're talking Northern kingdom. Jezebel and Ahab are rulers of the Northern kingdom. And, and Judah is the Southern kingdom. And Beersheba is the southernmost part of the Southern kingdom. Elijah knows exactly what he's doing. He's getting out of Jezebel's territory and he's going to the southernmost part of the kingdom. He is isolating himself. And he came to a broom bush and sat underneath it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. The scripture is clear. Elijah had a traveling companion and then he said, you stay right there. I'm gonna further isolate Brothers and sisters, you know how dangerous that is? I'm going to be all by myself. I'm going to live into my fear. I'm going to just, I'm going to hide away from every single person in my life. And he hides not, he hides under a bush. And then he's so exhausted, he falls asleep. He is desperate. He's at the end of his rope. He's not the only one in scripture that says stuff like this to God. Moses, deliverer of God's people from Pharaoh's Egypt, has a moment like this in his life. Numbers chapter 11. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. This, brothers and sisters, is outright depression. Now, I want to make a distinction between being depressed and depression. We all get depressed, sad, Frustrated, angry, depressed, getting depressed has different manifestations. It's normal. It happens. But depression is when we hold on to, I am depressed. And we can't let it go. And no amount of like walks in the sun or like trying to pick yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps is going to help you get out of depression. We need help. That is where Moses is. That is where Elijah is. Maybe that is where you are. You've held on to the pain. You've held on to the darkness. And you see it in your life. Those things that used to bring you joy, you're numb. You're numb. Your friends say, hey, let's hang out. And you're like, no, I I don't want to. And your friends are like, hey, you never want to hang out. 
All of these are signs and symbols, and they are red flags. Pay attention to what's going on in your life. Fear leads to paranoia. Paranoia leads to isolation. Isolation leads to depressed, and depressed leads to depression. And we're in a world of trouble. But even if we're hiding, even if we're running, even if we've isolated, our God never leaves us alone. God always provides. Let's go back to Elijah's story, verse five. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and they laid down again. Elijah's at his lowest. He's at his breaking point. He said, God, take my life. And God shows up in the pit and provides for Elijah. God shows up in the pit and provides for Elijah. Has this ever happened to you? You are having the worst of worst days and suddenly someone out of the blue texts you exactly what you need to hear. Maybe there's a whole lot of month and not a lot of money. And maybe you're at the grocery store and you're standing at the counter and you're like, I'm not sure this is going to go through. And the person ahead of you pays for your groceries. It's that moment when a friend just out of the blue says, hey, I want to watch your kiddos because I know it's been a while for you since you and your spouse has been on a date night. And what your friend doesn't really know is that you are on the brink. And God provides. Sometimes we call those random acts of kindness, sure, but I call that prevenient grace. Those God nudges. Those moments of absolute love. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And yet God shows up anyway. God sees you. God knows what's going on. And God is going to provide for you. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that God is some kind of cosmic Santa Claus. You name it and claim it and you got it. Nope, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a God who is so mindful of you that God gives you just enough when you need it the most. God's provision. And in Elijah's life, it doesn't just happen once, it happens twice. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey for you is much too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights By the way, that must have been some bread (laughs) until he reached Mount Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, to some degree, we've all experienced the wilderness. In this pandemic world, we've all experienced wilderness. Something has changed. Something is missing. Something has broken. And in those moments, we could say, get me out of the wilderness, God, right now. Or we could lean into it. Because the wilderness is a place of growth. The wilderness is a place of transformation. The wilderness is a liminal space. It's where we are open and sometimes desperate to hear from God. If we're here or there, we got this. But in the land in between, we're vulnerable. And it's in our vulnerability that we grow. In this place of provision, I want to encourage you with kind of two two simple practices. 
The first of it, which is connection. You need to be connected to God, which I'll talk more about next week, but also you need to be connected to other human beings. So important to experience connection. For some of you, that means a life group. Yes, studying the Bible, all those kinds of things, and praying together and serving together, awesome. But also someone who can speak words of life, who can get rid of these limitation prophecies. My undergraduate supervisor told me to drop out because my GPA was so low. I looked at her and said, I just found out my mom is dying. I'll do better. And now I have my master's plus. Mm. Yes. (laughs) This one was told by many high schools that he could never, uh, high school students that he could never be their friend. Now, brothers and sisters, When we have people in our lives, they take all of this negativity, they take all these negative limitation prophecies and they say, these are not true, these are lies. Let me tell you the truth about yourself. I see God at work in you. I see you doing this. I see how God is encouraging you. And they speak such words of life over you that you begin to actually believe that you are who God says you are. We need people in our lives like that. Like my friend who phoned me and said, girl, it ain't easy but lean into your identity as a beloved child of the living God. Do you have a group of people? If you don't have a life group, I want to encourage you to go to gingazerg.org slash life groups and try them out. We've got plenty of groups there. Get connected. The other thing I want to say is sometimes we need even deeper healing. Like I said, not enough walks in the sun are going to like cure the depression that you're experiencing. So you need to see someone. Here at Gingasur, we encourage you to go see New Creation Counseling Center. It was a counseling center that was birthed out of this place because we believe that mental health matters. It's vital. You are a whole human being, mind, soul, body, and strength. That's how you love the Lord, your God, your neighbor, and yourself. Just this week, I sat down with executive or former executive director, John Jung, to talk about fear and depression and healing And he had some words of wisdom. Let's watch. You know, there's a lot of external fears and a lot of internal fears. External fears, it's all around us. The pandemic, Ukraine, terrible situation, all kinds of personal situations that are external. But then there's internal ones, you know, know, our self-talk, our anxiety, our irrational fears, the things that go over and over in our head that we just can't get rid of. I always tell people anxiety is like that little bird chirping in your head, negative things, this is going to go wrong, what about that, you screwed that up. And I believe that anxiety over time is depression. You know, a lot of times, the obvious one is, you know, loss of motivation, difficulty sleeping, appetite disturbance, those kind of things, down mood. But a lot of times, it's really more subtle. Like, for example, in teens, a lot of times, irritability is the first sign of depression. So it's really, sometimes it's we, we kind of mask it. You know, we're feeling depressed, but it comes out looking like anger. And so that's why it gets to be really difficult. We need to be really self aware. What is really going on with me? What, what, you know, that honest approach to taking a look at what, what's happening with me? And ironically, one of the ways that we can get honest with ourselves is by processing with other people, you know, and that really helps sort of a right brain connection to get more honest with ourselves. We, we get that feedback from people and we can tell, you know, well, maybe there's something else I ought to be looking at. And I realize when you're depressed, it's really hard to generate energy. That's absolutely true. 
but you know, doing things really impacts our feelings. So that's the whole basis of cognitive behavioral work is do then feel. So we can take control of little disciplines, physical disciplines, spiritual disciplines, emotional disciplines, just little things that we can take control of in order to feel better. Of course, I'll always want to give a plug to New Creation, obviously, and I think everybody really ought to have that safe place where that can download. You just just need to have that. But what I tell my clients is, you know, I give them a visual. You got to get it out of here and out to here. You got to do that somehow. Uh, the basic, most, the best way to do that is to talk to another trusted person. Because left to our own devices, we will go on and do that self-play of negative talk, negative thinking, and it becomes a pattern and it kind of like grooves in our mind and we can't get out of it, it becomes that rut. And so we need a jolt out of that. Sometimes it takes medication to help overcome that hump and that's perfectly okay, that makes sense. You know, medication is, you know, because the, our neurochemistry really does change. It changes our brain, depression changes our brain, you know. All the, uh, you know, the research on trauma is that early trauma literally changes the way we see the world, literally changes the way we perceive things. So it's important to, to pay attention to that physical part too. But from a remedy standpoint, the one that's closest to us and the one that, you know, I think the Bible tells us about is being involved in, with other people, you know, having an, an intimacy, an emotional intimacy with other people, it's huge. I could sit and talk to John forever. He's just absolutely amazing. Friends, we have these limitation prophecies that have been spoken over our lives. We've got to name them so they no longer have power over us. When we find ourselves in fear and isolation, we've got to stop hiding and isolating ourselves. And then we've got to be open to receiving God's provision. Jesus, when he was gathered at that last supper table, he reminded uh, the disciples and reminds us too today that, that he provides through his own body and his own blood. So I wanna encourage you, uh, whether you're online or here in the room, we're gonna prepare to receive Holy Communion. And in that receiving a communion, we're gonna prepare our whole selves by confessing those things that we've done, those things that we have left undone. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who earnestly love him, who repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. So we're gonna read this confession on the screen together. I think it's there. Yes. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We've rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.